0: Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers, wherever you are. To anyone new, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. All I ask is that after listening to the video, if you enjoyed it or learned something, that you please hit the like button and consider subscribing. The latest bombshell In the case of the four University of Idaho students who suddenly lost their lives on November 13th of 2022, Maddie Mogan, Zana Kurnodal, Ethan Chapin, and Kaylee Gonzalez, is that suspect 28-year-old Brian Koberger allegedly sent one of the victims, one of the female victims, a series of private messages on Instagram two weeks before the crime. If this is true, it's confirmation that he was targeting one of the victims and that the crime was indeed personal. But let me just say before I really get into this, that Koberger is innocent until proven guilty. It's really important that we remember that. But he's also the cop's one and only suspect. The Instagram news was reported by People magazine, who said the information came from an unnamed investigator. Although People is not typically celebrated as a serious publication, and they have been known to publish misinformation once in a while, I believe they do take their reputation seriously and they do their best to avoid being sued. I suspect they did verify this source before publishing this story. We know there's a gag order that says none of the attorneys or investigators or anyone else working on the case is to talk about it, but it seems like in all these cases, someone behind the scenes... Always leaks information for some reason. It's a dangerous thing to do because it could sway public opinion. And Brian Koberger, no matter how guilty or suspicious we may think he looks, still has his right to presumed innocence and a fair trial. In the article, people quoted an unnamed investigator as saying this about Koberger. He slid into one of the girl's DMs several times, but she didn't respond. Basically, it was just him saying, Hi, how are you? But he did it again and again, end quote. The article also says that People Magazine viewed Brian Koberger's now-deleted Instagram account, and he was following the accounts of Maddie, Kaylee, and Xana. But there was no public interaction, so Koberger's messages to this female were in private, direct messages that only she could see. Hence, the reason no web sleuths were able to find any comments from Koberger on the three girls' Instagrams. Koberger reportedly sent the first message in late October. Then, after not receiving a response he sent a series of follow-up messages. The article did not say how many follow-up messages Coburger sent, nor did it say which of the three female victims he was messaging. It is possible that the female never saw the messages because Instagram doesn't alert you when someone you're not following privately messages you. The unnamed investigator cautioned that there's no reason to believe that Koberger was triggered into committing this violent attack because the female failed to respond to him. The source said, and I quote, There's no indication that he was getting frustrated with her lack of response, but he was definitely persistent. A lot of us are speculating about which of the female victims Koberger messaged. Some believe it was Maddie, and there are rumors floating around the YouTube streets that Koberger was seen at a bar that the girls from King Road went to, and that he was trying to hit on Maddie from what this girl could tell. That is all pure, unverified rumor, so we can't put any stock in it. I personally think it was Kaylee. I base this on the following. One, the more severe wounds Kaylee is said to have suffered. Her father said this, and the article in Air Mail magazine where Sergeant Gunderson, who was one of the first three officers inside the home after the 911 call, Sergeant Gunderson described particularly gruesome injuries on Kaylee. Two, Kaylee telling people she had a stalker. And three, her breakup with Jack D., which is said to have occurred three weeks before the crime. The police believe Koberger was secretly hanging around the girl's house on King Road for months because of his cell phone pinging off a cell tower near their home on 12 occasions, all but one occurring at night. So why did he just start messaging this female two weeks before the crime? Is it possible Koberger found out about Kaylee's breakup? And if she is the girl he messaged on Instagram, was the breakup the reason he suddenly bombarded her with messages two weeks prior to the crime. It's weird to keep sending messages to someone who is ignoring you. The description of Koberger's persistent Instagram messaging reminds me of what the mother of Kim Kennelly said about her daughter's experiences with Koberger back in 6th grade. That's when Brian and Kim both went to Pleasant Valley Intermediate School in Pennsylvania. Back in sixth grade, Kim, with her long blonde locks and lip-glossed smile, looked a lot like Kaylee and Maddie. Kohlberger, then a chubby, socially awkward young kid, apparently had his eye on the prize turkey, Kim. He is said to have developed a A mad crush on the blonde Barbie lookalike, and he wasn't shy about letting her know. Per Kim's mom, Brian was always telling her daughter, Oh, Kim, I think you're pretty. Unfortunately, Kim didn't think he was pretty. Making no effort to soften the blow, Kim, according to her mom, would respond, Oh my God, leave me alone. But that didn't stop Koberger from leaving love letters in her locker. At some point, Kim emphatically told Koberger to buzz off, which supposedly left him brokenhearted. You'd think Koberger would have learned from this painful experience not to keep pursuing someone who ignores or rejects you, and maybe to set his sights on someone more within his own league. I hate to say that, but we all know how the cliques in high school work. We know that between his junior and senior years in high school, Koberger lost a massive amount of weight, upwards of a 100 pounds. He also took up boxing and Heroin. The first item, perhaps to lean out and be able to fight back against the bullies. The second, perhaps to self-soothe. Experts say addicts often start using drugs as a way to treat emotional and physical pain. To lose a hundred pounds is a physical and a mental feat it takes a lot of dedication and self-control to kick heroin is an equally daunting and monumental task. Psychologist Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, I probably completely botched that, who was on Surviving the Survivor the other day, had this to say about Brian Koberger.
1: Dr. Linda I am a registered dietitian who has specialized in eating disorders. He, meaning Brian, may have had a control issue that led him to veganism. If we can't control something in our life, we control what we eat. Is there uh, veracity to this statement? um control is one aspect of of eating disorders body image is another aspect of eating disorders family disruptions another aspect of eating disorders again eating disorders like uh much psychopathology is is kind of there's a there's a lot of factors uh that are involved in fact um just sort of reading about him and the way he was eating one of the things that i think I, i came across again i'm not sure Uh, True. This is. He had um, a a visual disorder, which caused him to kind of see things quite speckled. um, And apparently, he was advised to change his diet as a means of gaining control over this perceptual disorder that he has. His visual disorder that he had. So that might have been a part of as well. Having said that, um, I would suggest that this person, interestingly enough, is probably somebody that can regulate and control their behavior you you don't manage to do a phd without being able to delay gratification control your behavior you don't manage to lose that amount of weight without having the ability to delay gratification and control behavior you don't much and maybe that i guess against dr johnson would fit in to the fact that I control, I control, I control, and then this is kind of, I get a high off of, the, you know, the, the controlled chaos of what I do in this house, perhaps, but um, I, I find that interesting with somebody with his back, we're not talking somebody who, you know, had, a, you know, you know there's some uh, reference to an addiction issue at the point, but this is not someone who had, you know, all through his life addiction issues, it sounds like he was someone who was a good student, so to me... That ability of being able to control, you know, you know, uh, he, he is is quite interesting in his in his personality profile.
0: Clearly, Koberger had the ability to control himself in many ways. He lost the weight. He allegedly kicked the addiction. He became vegan to treat his visual snow syndrome symptoms. He obtained two degrees and was on his way to earning a PhD. For a guy who seemed broken in those posts on the Visual Snow Syndrome message board, he certainly picked himself up and found a way to excel. Although Koberger's clearly bright and able to excel academically, what he doesn't and didn't seem able to do is escape his awkward social self feel authentic emotions, silence what he himself called his crazy thoughts, and stop his sea between delusions of grandeur one minute and zero self-esteem the next. Koberger either could not figure out how to become a charismatic girl magnet, or it was always going to be an impossible task. Perhaps his self-described inability to feel emotion and his ineptitude at reading other people and picking up on social cues were things he started to realize he could never fix. If he's the perpetrator of this crime, was this realization that he might never get the attractive female he desired and might never have an intimate relationship with any female, for that matter, Is that why he developed into a person without empathy? Is that where all the rage came from? You can't do what he allegedly did to the four students and have even an ounce of empathy in you. Former FBI investigator and security expert Pete Yachmetz. He believes Koberger's unyielding attempts to reach the female victim could be a symptom of the incel complex. Yakmets explained that he thinks it's possible Brian Koberger was driven to harm the students by his history of social issues. Yakmets pointed out the brutal nature of the crime in Moscow and Koberger's experiences of being bullied by classmates in high school and not finding it easy to be accepted and embraced by the popular kids. Yakmet said, and I quote, I believe a continued stabbing of a victim indicates an uncontrollable rage and extreme anger. I think he may have developed a sort of incel complex, end quote. I've already talked about incels in previous videos, but let me do a brief definition for those of you who may not be familiar with this term. The term incel refers to involuntary celibate. It is generally used for men who believe they struggle with romantic and intimate relationships due to their physical appearance or personality. Incel really means Guys who can't score in the sack because women simply do not give them the time of day. Incels call women, attractive women in particular, Stacey's, and they call the men who are successful with Stacey's, Chads. According to HITC.com, and I quote, the incel worldview centers on the notion that attractiveness is predetermined by genetic factors. This is known as the black pill theory. End quote. Incels tend to turn their frustrations toward women, and really it's more like hatred toward women. And incels have developed an online community where they talk about their issues. Perhaps the most famous incel is Elliot Roger? He is the guy responsible for the 2014 Isla Vista Spree, where he did in six people before doing the same thing to himself. The only problem with the incel theory in connection to Brian Koberger is that normally incels who go on fatal sprees or attacks do themselves in after they've wreaked havoc and harmed other people. And they usually leave behind a manifesto-type autobiographical account of their struggles to become non-celibate. According to the Center for Research and Evidence on Security Threats report, the incel ideology has been a rising motivation for a number of these lethal sprees during the past decade. Obviously, Brian Koberger did not do anything to himself after he allegedly committed the crime, and he doesn't strike me as someone apt to do this. His belief that he can fully exonerate himself tells me he thinks he's not going to be convicted, and he thinks his life will then continue as usual. On to another subject. We're now learning from Insider.com that on the night of the crime in Moscow, police over in Pullman, Washington, responded to a hit-and-run crash in front of Koberger's step-toe apartment. According to the Insider article, and I quote, throughout his journey to Moscow, Idaho, and back home in Pullman, Washington, police and sheriff deputies, Spent hours in front of Idaho Slains suspect, Brian Koberger's home, responding to a horrifying hit and run. End quote. Can this case get any weirder? So now we find out that hours before Koberger headed out in his 2015 white Elantra, the police were in front of his apartment for hours dealing with a grisly car crash. The crash was reported at 11:40 p.m. on Saturday, November 12th, three hours before Koberger left Pullman and traveled in the direction of Moscow. The crash sent two pedestrians to the hospital with serious injuries. Per an eyewitness named Turner Gardner, another name that sounds like it's out of a novel, a man was thrown from the road and a woman lay face down screaming. Gardner described the scene as horrifying. Another witness named Andrea McKenzie told Insider, and I quote, I heard a screech and a loud bang. It was scary. End quote. So per this article, the police took a 19-year-old Kappa Delta sorority member named Carmen E. Fernandez, into custody following a manhunt and charged her with vehicular assault and a DUI. I bet her parents aren't too happy about the Greek life after this little incident. Sorry, but I know nada about Greek life, and this case makes me think there's a whole lot of drinking, and shenanigans going on on Greek Row. Don't come for me. It's just an impression that I'm getting. The article goes on to say, and I quote, there is a chance Koberger witnessed the crash before leaving his apartment at 2.52 a.m. on November 13th. Cellular data shows he was home during the crash and could hear and see the street, from a second story window. End quote. And we know from Koberger's downstairs neighbor that he was something of an insomniac, so it's easy to imagine him being up and awake, hearing this awful crash, and then looking out the window at it. The article goes on to say, and I quote, the police response to the hit and run. Blocked the most direct way to Koberger's home, one of only two ways to access his apartment building. The route that was open that night requires turning four times on residential streets and going over four speed bumps before connecting with a main road. The route police blocked had one turn and one speed bump. End quote. So after this crash, according to both cell phone data and surveillance cameras, during the early morning hours of Sunday, November 13th, Koberger drove his white Elantra 11 miles to Moscow and then allegedly committed the crime. The article goes on to say that by 5.30 a.m., cell tower pings showed Koberger's phone back at his apartment. According to witnesses, the police were still on his street dealing with this car crash. Now that is fascinating. All along, I've wondered how Koberger could have managed to get back inside his apartment after committing this very messy crime without anyone seeing him covered in red. We know that there are about 50 minutes between the time the Elantra was seen speeding away from the girls' neighborhood in Moscow at 4.20 a.m. to when Koberger arrived back at his apartment in Pullman around 5.30 a.m. That drive should have only taken about 10 minutes, but we know he took a very circuitous, long route instead of the direct path on Highway SR-270, Coburger, knowing police would likely still be in front of his apartment complex when he arrived home at 5.30 a.m. post the crime reinforces my belief that he went somewhere during those 50 minutes to discard the black clothing that Dylan described the mask perpetrator as wearing which had to have been saturated, and he likely washed his face and hands off, too. I doubt he would have gotten out of his car and walked into his apartment upstairs, still dressed in the clothes he wore during the commission of the crime, if he is the perpetrator. It sounds like the Pullman police were still in front of the Steptoe Apartments at 9 a.m., when Koberger left once more for Moscow. The Insider article says, and I quote, it's unclear if the crash had anything to do with the killings or if it was a simple coincidence, end quote. I feel like we're all caught on a tightrope, wondering if Koberger is a blundering idiot criminal who thought he knew it all, or if he really is an evil genius. We have people wondering if he left the leather sheath behind as a calling card. Now we're hearing that the University of Idaho's computer system went down starting at 6.30 a.m. on the day of the crime, preventing anyone from communicating on it, and I'm assuming preventing campus surveillance camera footage. From being available, now we're going to be questioning whether or not Koberger played a role in this accident. As in, did he somehow set this car crash in motion as a diversion to keep the cops' eyes off of him and focus squarely on the car's accident victims? Who the heck knows? Time hopefully will tell. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel, I don't think you'll regret it, and I'll see you next time.